Well, here we are then, back in Mark chapter 16 this evening on this day of the, the resurrection. The women, bewildered at the tomb, uh, go off and they go to find the disciples. They encounter uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples are filled with great joy. But the message on that Easter morning from the angel, so um, amazingly, angel used to declare uh, the incarnation appearing to shepherds, and they're given this privilege of declaring to, uh, to mankind, uh, he's been born this day in the city of David, a saviour, Christ the Lord, and then uh, the preacher at the resurrection morning uh, is an angel. What a privilege, I wonder what his name was. Angels have got names, we know of uh, Gabriel, we know of uh, Michael, uh, they're the two who are named um, but this angel would have had a name. I guess he was very excited uh, by it all. He had to calm the ladies down because they were, remember what they were this morning? They were afraid. And uh, don't, don't be afraid. I'm not here to frighten you. Why? Oh, it's, it's my shining splendor. I understand. Don't, don't be afraid. Uh, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. Don't be Afraid, but go and tell his disciples uh, that he's going ahead of them to Galilee, just as he told you. And they're astonished, uh, and they go with fear and with trembling. He is risen, pivotal, central truth of Christianity. If the resurrection is false, then Christianity is the vilest deceit in the whole of forever for example I've given 47 years of my life um, my parents weren't believers I believe they came to faith uh, late in their their lives but they weren't believers they um, ordinary working people in the north of England and dads worked for a company called Rolls-Royce and um, mum was a stay-at-home mum as many mums were back in back in the day but they scrimped and they, they saved and they brought me and my sister up uh, well and uh, I failed my 11 plus. I went to secondary modern school and uh, then I did pretty well there. Went to a grammar school, did A-levels and got off to Cardiff University to do chemistry. Ended up doing a PhD then in, in chemistry and went to work uh, in London as a chemist for a number of, well, for five years and came back to work for a church in Cardiff as their student worker and became church evangelist. And uh, when I said to my parents, um, I'm giving up being a chemist, and I feel it's right to go and work for this church back in Cardiff, what a waste. What a waste. Think of what you could be if you just persisted, and uh, you're giving all that up. What a waste. And we scrimped and saved to put you through college and uni. What a waste. Well, if the resurrection's not true, they're absolutely right. What a waste and what a fool I've been. If it's a hoax, it's the vilest deceit. There's nothing worse. I mean, you, you could think of terrible things that have happened in the world, but if the resurrection's not true, then it's the vilest hoax in the whole of history. But if it's true, I say, since it's true, hence I was happy to give up my job and... Uh, go full-time working with students and becoming a church evangelist. All those things were, 
well worthwhile because it's true. And because it's true, everything changes. Everything changes. These three words, he is risen, change everything. It all pivots on that truth. The resurrection, the resurrection. I think it's C.S. Lewis who said this, um, if Christianity is true, then it's worth giving up everything for. If it's false, it's worth nothing at all. It's of no importance. If it's true, it's of total importance. If it's false, it's of no importance. One thing it is not is moderately important. Now think about that. It's challenging to me. What would be challenging to you if you're a Christian? Do you think Christianity is moderately important? Because it will show in the way that we live. It shows. It cannot be moderately important. If it's true, it demands as Wesley, all my life, my all. And not that we are tearing around like headless chickens, but we are under the sovereign command of almighty God and his uh, resurrected, ascended son who rules the universe. These three words change everything. He is risen, as I was saying. Only one word in the original. Uh, he is risen. The word is agairo. I mean, Anastasia means uh, resurrection, but agairo means to arise. As if you've been asleep. I mean, you, uh, you agairo this morning. You went to uh, sleep last night. Did you get to sleep last night? Don't sleep here. Uh, it's quite warm in here. It's been a busy day, hasn't it? But don't fall asleep just yet. But if you did, you would eventually agairo. And that's what the angel says about Jesus Christ. He's, he's arisen from the sleep. He's been awakened. Uh, he has risen. The most significant words ever when they're applied to Jesus Christ. The apostles, those who had followed him, uh, Judas Iscariot, of course, betrays him um, and never, ever returns. So we know that Peter denied him. All the apostles were, were scattered apart from one. Maybe John was there at the, the crucifixion, at the cross, and uh, some ladies around uh, the cross as well. And then they throw the body to the tomb. The ladies saw where the, uh, the body was laid and uh, the seal was put on, the stone rolled in place. That's why on that uh, resurrection morning they knew where they needed to go to. But those men who'd run away terrified, were suddenly after the resurrection and after Pentecost, bold, declaring, and here, here was the message of the apostles, Jesus and the resurrection. Throughout the book of Acts, as you read it, this is the recurring theme, Jesus and the resurrection. Let's just go to Acts chapter 17, where Paul is in Athens, the land of my fathers, and uh, he's preaching there, on Mars Hill. Acts 16, 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the mark and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now here he's in the marketplace. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers 
also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be preaching foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus and the resurrection. So in the Greek, he'd be preaching in Greek, would Paul? Christos and Anastasia. Christos, Christ, Anastasia. Now these uh, philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics, thought he was speaking about two foreign gods, one called Christ and one called Anastasia. But he wasn't. Uh, Anastasia is a Greek name, but he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. And that is the theme of the apostles. We said this morning, well attested in history, uh, ten of them went to a martyr's death, proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. They had to be absolutely sure they'd seen him. The apostle Paul who was one abnormally born, who did see the risen Jesus Christ on the road to uh, Damascus. It's known that uh, quite likely he was martyred under Nero. Only one disciple <coughs> lived, it seems, to die of old age. Now, any of the children know who that might have been? Paul? Well, now he might have. I nearly fell off the edge there. He might have. It seems that quite likely though he was martyred, but another disciple, he's a disciple who Jesus loved. And he, he wrote a gospel and he wrote three letters. Another guess? Go on. John. Yeah, we think that John died maybe well into his 90s of old age. But still persecuted, exiled as an elderly gentleman on a rock out in the, uh, out in the sea for preaching Jesus and the resurrection. No, this is the great theme. Jesus and the resurrection. In a sense, again, this agairo means to stand up again. Let's think about this uh, little message from the angel. He is risen. He, first of all, he. Let's start with the he. Who? Who is he? Interesting what the angel says. Back to Mark chapter 16 in verse 6. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek... Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. Who is the he? Jesus of Nazareth. That's what the angel says. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. That's a title that was given to Jesus while he was here on earth, really to demean him. It was quite a derogatory term. If you live in the southeast of England, then uh, you seem to think you live at the epicentre and the centre of uh, all the good in, in Britain. And you think about those up north, where I come from, and uh, back in the day, well, you know, if you were a northerner, you wouldn't get a public speaking place on the BBC. Not, not when I was a lad. They all had very posh accents on the BBC. Remember that time when they all dressed immaculately and spoke with BBC English? And you wouldn't get Northeasterners or Northwesterners or Yorkshire dialects reading the news. Now you do today, and I'm glad about that. But certainly in Jesus' time, if they wanted to demean him, they'd say, oh, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's that northerner from up there in, in Galilee. I mean, it comes out on quite a few occasions. In John chapter 1, for example, early on in 
the Gospels. John chapter 1, let me read from verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? It was a real backwater, a sleepy little northern village. Can anything good come from Nazareth? In John chapter 7, a group of uh, soldiers are sent by the Sanhedrin to arrest Jesus. Eventually come back having not arrested him. Here we are, John 7 verse 40, where should we start? 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, why didn't you bring him in? The officers answered, oh, I tell you, nobody ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does, that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he's one of the Sanhedrin, he was a Pharisee. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see, no prophet comes from Galilee. So Jesus of Nazareth, you want to really demean him? Oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. What I find so very interesting here is that after his death and now his resurrection, he's still happy to have that title. Jesus of Nazareth is his title still. And I say, wow, this is quite amazing. Do you know the heroes of this world are brash, arrogant, loud. But my hero, Jesus Christ, gentle and humble. Exalted, yes, but still approachable, my friends. To a little child to an older gentleman or lady, to a young man like me, approachable, gentle, humble. The devil would have you believe, oh, he's very austere <clears throat> to get anywhere near him. Do you know, one thing he, he loved to do was receive little children. The disciples thought they knew better. T take those children away. Let the children come to me. Do not forbid them, for as such belongs the kingdom of heaven. This wonderful humility of the Lord Jesus. And I wonder about you and me. You know, if we are his followers, if we are really Christians, and what's a Christian? Well, the clue's in the name. Uh, Christ's ones. We ought to be, I mean, I've had 47 years uh, working at this by the power of the, the Spirit. We ought to be increasingly like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think one of the hallmarks I mean, many can say I'm a Christian. Would you claim to be a Christian tonight? How do we know? 
How do we know? There ought to be a change. There's a wonderful old uh, Sankey hymn that we sing quite a lot at, at Heath. Maybe we always sing it. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Now, is it true? You might say, well, what sort of a change is it? Oh, you've got these wonderful gifts, have you? You, you, can, uh, you can sing, you can play instruments, you can preach, you can, you can teach. I tell you, they prove nothing. You know, the world and the devil can imitate those. The real hallmark is not gifts, but grace. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, self-control. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, one of the most wonderful hallmarks that the devil certainly can't imitate is humility. The, world's quite, the world is quite different. You want to big yourself up, push yourself to the front. No, if you want to be first, says Jesus, you must be last. If you want to be great, you must be the servant uh, of all. That servant spirit, this humility. Well, Jesus has it there, even after his resurrection. Pleased to have the angel sent from heaven, announced to those ladies, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the And further, who was crucified. He was dead. Ladies, you saw it. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, he'll take the title still. He's told me to tell you. It's Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. You saw it, ladies. You were there. You seek Jesus, the one you loved, followed, and you've got this desire. And I can see you've got your little package with you, your basket, and you, you want to anoint his dead body. Ladies, how kind. How kind. How very brave. I mean, had the resurrection not taken place, first of all, they've got to get through the Roman God. Then they've got to ask for the seal to be broken. I don't think that could have been done. But they're going anyway. They're going to have a go. Do you give up before you even started? Oh, this is impossible. I can't possibly do that. There's no point even going. Oh, they didn't think like that. <laughs> there was a stone. There was a God. There was a seal. But nothing's going to stop them because they love him. Because they, they're going to have a go at least. How, how brave of you. How kind. But, ladies, how very wrong. Don't you remember? Don't you remember all that he said? He is not here. He is risen. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He said he was going to go ahead of them after his resurrection to, to Galilee. In Mark chapter, I mean, how often did Jesus promise he would come back from the dead? We thought about Harry Houdini this morning, who said, if there's a way to beat death, I will come back. But he didn't come back. Jesus said he will come back. He even gave the time scale, not years, three days. And he, and he did it. <clears throat> Here we are. <clears throat> Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, he will rise again. Same in Mark chapter 9, exactly. Same in Mark chapter 10, exactly. Who was crucified? He is risen. Here it is, a gyro. 
unique. Jesus Christ's resurrection was and is to date unique. Now, there are instances of people being raised from the dead, but only to die again. It was a temporary restoration of life. In the Gospels, we learn about people who were raised from the dead. Uh, in the Old Testament, there were people who were raised from the dead. Children, again, just, just for you, can you think of anybody by name who was raised in the New Testament? Who did Jesus raise from the dead? Yes? Lazarus. Lazarus. Yeah. <clears throat> can you think what Jesus said when he called this man out of the tomb? What did he say? Remember? Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, get up. Lazarus, arise. <laughs> Lazarus. But he had to use his name. Shall I tell you why? Do you know why he had to use Lazarus' name? When he used those words, come out. Do you know why he had to use Lazarus' name? Anybody have any thoughts on that? No? Well, if he, if he hadn't, if he hadn't, everybody would have got up. He has such a powerful voice, such power behind what he says. I mean, I might say all sorts of things, but he's the creator of the universe. And if he just said, resurrection, everybody would have got up. But it wasn't time. It wasn't time. So Lazarus, he had to be specific. Come out. And so he, he came out. Now think about this. He'd been dead for four days. He'd been in the tomb four days. Oh, Lord, if we take the stone away, there'll be a smell. He's been in there four days. Now, if you know your Bibles, where was Lazarus? His body was in the tomb. Where was Lazarus? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Wow, like the dying thief. He'd gone to, to paradise. Wow, what a wonderful place that must be. It said, well, it's true, but there's a tradition that says that after he came back from the dead, Lazarus never smiled again. Imagine that, going to heaven and waking up back here again. I mean, really, really. <clears throat> it's a wonderful place, heaven. And he came back to this place. Now, it proved his power, but uh, whether that's true or not, we, we don't know. We don't understand the sentiment and the thinking. If he'd gone to heaven, since he'd gone to, to come back here, if you went to heaven and came back here and another COVID lockdown, away, oh, I was there. It happened to Paul. He had a brief glimpse. He wasn't dead, but in his spirit, or whether physically, he was caught up to paradise. I saw inexpressible things. What a wonderful place it is. So there were people who had risen, but only to die uh, again. But Jesus' resurrection is absolutely unique. Listen to this in uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17. Here's John. The only disciple who lived to old age then. He's on the island of Patmos, exiled for um, preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And John says this. He has a vision of Jesus there. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. I'm alive 
forevermore. I haven't been risen temporarily. I've been risen in such a way that I am never to die again. So his resurrection is unique at the moment. I say that at the moment because here's the exciting thing. What happened to him is going to happen to every single believer. Colossians chapter 1. Where shall I read from here? Verse 18. Speaking of Jesus then. And he, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Church is a great thing. Is it exciting coming to church? Why would I want to be anywhere else? Here we are, part of the body of Jesus, and he's the head. There's Jesus. He's in glory now. He ascended 2,000 years ago. He's still doing wonderful things throughout the world. And he's the head of his body, the church. He, Jesus, is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. In that everything he might be preeminent. He's the firstborn from the dead. The Greek word, the prototokos, the, the prototype. You've heard a prototype, something is invented, and uh, here's, a, here's the prototype. And from this, because it's such a wonderful thing, we're going to make lots of others just like it. But that's the prototype, the first of its kind. And Jesus says, I'm the first of my kind. I'm the one who's risen never to die again. Lazarus, there was a sort of, well, he sort of resurrection, but then he died again. Now he's in glory, and uh, don't, he wants to stay there. Right? But... Uh, but Jesus, risen, never to die, he's the prototokos, he's the prototype of what? You and me, you and me, because one day, one day, we will rise, never to die again, just as he did, the prototype, Agero, he is risen. Let's think about this as well, going to a conclusion now, I think, are we coming to a conclusion? No, no, not, too, not too far to go. Okay. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was inevitable. All right. Now, he promised he would come back again. Houdini tried. I promised my wife, there's a way, I'll come back. There wasn't, and he didn't. Jesus promised he would come back, and he did. On a specific day, on the third day, I will rise again. Promised it in the Gospels. It was prophesied in Psalm 16 and other Psalms and parts of the Bible as well. Psalm 16, you will not let your Holy One see decay. So his body didn't see uh, decay. When he was asked, as we said this morning, what sign can you give? Destroy this temple. I will raise it again in three days. On another occasion, what sign can you give us? No sign will be given you apart from that of the prophet Jonah. Because Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the depths of the earth three days. And then he will rise again. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm saying, was inevitable because death hangs on to sinners. Right, famous verse here, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. I used to try and change that to the penalty, but it's not the penalty, it's the wages. Wages are things that you earn. At the end of a hard week's work, you'll go to your employer and say, 
I want my wages. I want my wages. I deserve my wages. Wages are something that you, you earn. And what we're earning is death because we're sinners and we only add to the problem. We sin, as you said this morning, because we are sinners. Because there's something wrong with me. I'm a sinner. I therefore sin. I'm earning a wage and it's death. Death, spiritually. I, I wonder if there's a God. Death, physically. I'm falling apart before your very eyes. You know, 66 and the joints are really creaking. This hand, at night in particular, I can't bend these fingers at times. And throughout the day, I'm okay. The knees creak. I'm supposed to be playing golf in a family tournament. But this shoulder, can I get my arm back to hit the golf club anymore? Death. But also death eternally. Sin. I can't go home to heaven. The wages of sin, the penalty, the wages is death. But Jesus, death has no hold on him. Jesus did not sin. His life was utterly pure, righteous and good. His enemies said, well, Pilate said three times, I don't find any fault with Jesus Christ. Herod said, I can see nothing wrong with him. Passed him back to, to Pilate. Uh, at one point, he stands in front of an, an angry crowd. Who of you can prove me guilty of sin? And nobody said a word. Even his friends said, we've been with him three years. If you want to know what I'm really like, ask my wife. I could feel you. I mean, who, 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 who thinks I'm a wonderful person? Come on, hands up. Oh, thank you. Young said, oh, great, great. Yeah, oh, come on, thank you. Well, you don't know me, you see. But if you want to know what I'm really like, you ask my wife. Ask my wife. But his disciples said, we've been with him three years. He said nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. And Paul the Apostle says, he didn't even think anything that was wrong. And then all that really matters is, what was God's opinion, his father's opinion? That's all that matters about you and me. What does God the Father think about you and me? And for Jesus Christ, this is my son, says the Father. In him I am well pleased. Oh, oh. But he did die. Jesus did die who was crucified and dead. Who does he die for? I was looking for this hymn before the service. I thought you might, maybe ha would have a hymn book here, but I, I looked it up online. I googled it. All ye that pass by. Listen to this line. He, Jesus, dies to atone for sin, not his own. Your debts he hath paid and your work he hath done. Ye all may receive the peace he did leave, who made intercession, my Father forgive. For you and for me he prayed on the tree. The prayer is accepted, the sinner is free. That sinner am I who on Jesus rely and come for the pardon, God cannot deny. Well, I think that's a great word. I come for the pardon, God cannot deny. If you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you, he will, he has to, because he's died for you, he wants to. From eternity, he had great pity on you. But because of Calvary, now he has power to forgive you. He dies in your place. Very posh word you're going to learn tonight, children. Uh, vicarious. Vicarious mean. Any, anybody know what vicarious? We get the name vicar from it. So in some churches, they've got a, a vicar. You spot them, they've normally got a white dog collar and vestments and things. And, uh, but a vicar comes from this word vicarious. Any adults know what vicarious means? I think you do, you're just being shy. 
It means on behalf of somebody else. So if I pay your speeding fine, I do it vicariously. Uh, I wasn't the one who was guilty, but I paid the fine. Very kind of me, vicarious. And Jesus dies vicariously. Right? He's our vicar. And in fact, not knocking the Anglican church for having vicars, but there's only one vicar as Jesus. He's the only one who stands in our place and represents us. In my place condemned he stood, not the local vicar down the road. He can do nothing for me. Well, he can point like any good minister can and should. Point, behold the Lamb of God. But he can't, he can't save you. In our churches we have ministers and, and pastors. So that's the picture of being a shepherd and leading and, and serving and that's, that's a better word, perhaps. But Jesus is the only vicar. He dies in our place. Mark chapter 10, 45. I give my life a ransom for many. Peter says, Christ died for sin. Once for all, the just on behalf of the unjust. Why? To bring us to God. Isaiah saw it hundreds of years before. He was wounded for our transgressions. Vicarious. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace fell on him. By his stripes, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each turned to his own way. And the Lord, God the Father, laid on him, God the Son, the iniquity of us all. Vicar, vicarious, he dies in our place. But still he died. And death has got a problem with Jesus. See, death hangs on to sinners by right. Remember Derek Swan? Remember Derek Swan, godly minister? Went to glory maybe 15 years ago. His widow still alive and living in, in Cardiff. He wrote this in an EMW magazine quite a few years ago. Now, when Jesus breathed his last on Calvary, death took him into custody as it does all of us. You can imagine death calling for the book of Jesus' life to be brought in for inspection. Page after page would be turned, but not one sin would be found anywhere. Only the last page remains. And when that is turned, like the others, it is spotless. Death turns pale. Motioning to those around, says, let him go. His life is sinless. We have no grounds for holding him. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. Death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my saviour, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. This is the final point then. <clears throat> the significance. A guy wrote, we looked at the first two this morning, so I won't do it again. He is who he claimed to be. His work actually works. And I've touched on this already, so we can be brief. Number three, we will rise. His agairo will be my agairo. It is absolutely guaranteed and certain. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is absolutely certain. It's in the preaching of the apostles. There it is in Acts chapter 17 as well. He's appointed a day. When he will judge the whole of mankind, he's given notice of this by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Daniel 12 and verse 2, 
those who rest in the dust of the earth will rise. And Jesus again speaking, to finish with this one, John chapter 5, this is before he uh, calls Lazarus out from his tomb. John 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, says Jesus, for an hour is coming. Hasn't come yet, but it's coming. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So listen, whether you're a Christian or not, you will hear his voice. There's going to be a trumpet. A shout from an archangel. And a great cry from Jesus Christ, a gyro. And everybody will rise. Believers and unbelievers. Those who've trusted Jesus Christ, body and soul, reunited forever with the Lord. Those who didn't trust him, a final the greater size, that great separation, the sheep and the goats, and it is final, and the gulf is fixed. Well, which side are you on? Listen, this evening, chance to swap from those who are on the wrong side of that day of judgment to those who are on the right side. Trust him. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a little boy in Heath asking me just last week, I think he's nine, how old do you have to be to get baptized? And uh, I said, oh, I, I think oh, you, there's no age. You just have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you believe? Oh, yes, I, I believe. Well, have a word. So he's coming for the next elders meeting. I didn't, I didn't really know the form at Heath. Maybe you've got to be a certain age, which would be a little bit silly. Am I being recorded? <laughs> Nobody at Heath watching is there. Anyway, I'm too old to bother now, to be quite frank. So, um, yeah, how old do you have to be to believe? Old enough to understand that you're a sinner. Jesus Christ lived and died, but a guy rose. He rose again. And he's steady. He stands ready to save you. He's full of pity, but now because of Calvary, it's also joined with power. And for you adults as well, if you're not yet saved, get saved. If you are saved, I'd say, stay close to Jesus, because he's wild out there. It's wild out.